Welcome to Tech on Toast. The Tech on Toast podcast is powered by REMS Hospitality, using market data to grow your revenue. To find out more about Tech on Toast, head over to our website, techontoast.community, where you can listen to all of our podcasts, read all of our blogs, and search for the latest hospitality tech in our marketplace. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the next episode of Tech on Toast. And this week we are with the lovely Kim Teo. Kim, how are you? Yeah, I'm really well. How are you? I'm all right. Well, I'm I'm in South Wales and you're in a different kind of South Wales. Where are you? You're in Australia, aren't you, somewhere? Uh, I am. <laughs> whereabouts, whereabouts are you? I'm in Melbourne. Melbourne, very nice. And it's an early evening there and uh, early morning here. So anyway, Kim, before we get into this, tell me a little bit about you. Tell us a bit about your background. How have you ended up as a CEO and co-founder of Mr. Yum? So um, I grew up in a fa- fairly entrepreneurial family. My parents were both small business owners. So I think I grew up always thinking that I'd end up doing something of my own uh, one day. And I was very lucky for that to be the case. Um, grew up in Singapore, ended up in Australia, um, ended up back in Singapore, um, ended up back in Australia. So pretty much lived between Singapore and Australia my whole um, life aside from spending some time in the US and, and London more recently as well. Um, I had a pretty corporate start to my career. I um, ended up in JP Morgan as an investment banker for the first year of my grad life and immediately hated that and left within 11 months, I think it was. Um, <laughs> ended up in consulting for a little bit. Um and then fell into technology about seven years ago and, and very luckily met my two other co-founders, um, Kerry and Adrian, doing a business called Neighbor Flavor, which is you could buy home-cooked meals from people that lived around you at the time when Uber was just becoming legal and Airbnb and it was just all gig economy and it was a bit of a rage about seven years ago. Um, the business didn't, didn't end up working, but I think we definitely um, – definitely loved working together and wanted to stay together and continue to work on um, another business, more of a consulting type model. And then um, very recently, I guess three years ago, when we started Misty, um, Andre, our fourth co-founder, joined joined the business. And um, and today we're 150-ish. So it's been a bit of a wild ride. So I suppose you learn a lot of lessons in your earlier career, right? When you when you end up the one that the one that lands, you end up learning a lot along the way, I presume. Yeah, and and it's only been three years since we started Misty Arms. Um, so I think it's often like seems like an overnight success, but it's not. It's uh, it's been a long journey to getting to where we are, and we're still learning every single day. Um, we've never run a team the size that we have today, and you know we've not we've not built a business overseas and the capacity that we have today. So we're just making it up and trying to do the right thing. Um, trying to do the right thing, trying to listen to our team, trying to hire people way smarter than us um, and trying to uh, mostly just like build a good product and then stick to our word and, and support the customers that we're, that we're um, getting on board and then having that snowball into a good reputation and hopefully hoping the rest takes care of itself. And yeah, I think I heard the other day, there's an amazing stat that something like 60 or 70% of Australians have used Mr. Yum. Is that right? Yeah, it is. It, it is a pretty <laughs> crazy stat. Um, Australia has the highest adoption of this technology um, in the world. I think 
aside from China, which has very, very high adoption of this technology, um, we have some of the highest minimum wage in the world that's kind of driven that um, early adopter mindset and how do we use technology to augment our service models because um, labour cost is expensive here. And we started three years ago, even pre-COVID, we were getting some traction. Then, of course, um, there was a catalyst in in the last two years that helped QR codes become known again, which has dramatically helped our our case. Um, but yeah, it's a small country. It's only 25 million people and um, it's the word spreads quickly and the industry is small. So if you build a good product and you have a good brand and a good reputation, then you can get far pretty quickly. So yeah, we've got really strong penetration in this market. And do you think, because um, you're obviously now in the UK, US, do you th- are you seeing similarities but across the markets or is it all is it all very different? As in, you, I know you're, le- you're learning because, you, as you said, you're growing a huge team, but are there any similarities across the three different areas? There's much more similarities between Australia and the UK. Yeah. Um, even though we're so far away, I think Aussies and Brits somehow find themselves together. Um, <laughs> we've got we've got so many Brits in our team, um, like that live in live in Australia and have made their way into our team, our leadership team, our executive team. Um, and going over there feels, you know, not too far away, even though it's really, really, um, it's a further, pretty much the furthest you could be. Um, but culturally, pretty aligned. We've got a very similar pub culture. You know, we've got a very um, align kind of social culture around food and, and hanging out in, in bars and, and drinking. I think that's like a line between the two. Yes, cultures. agreed. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. And sport, like sport, I think brings the two regions together as well. There's a lot of banter around um, many like, you know, cricket and our, sum, our, our summer um, and um and heaps of different things, I think, that bring the almost the cultures aligned. Um, and the difference is the difference would be that um, the wages are definitely higher in Australia. So we've seen a, a, a stronger adoption here than in the UK, and it's probably you know twelve to eighteen months um, behind on adoption of the category in the market. Um, and it's fairly competitive in the UK too, but we. Yeah, we feel really confident that we'll be able to make our mark and um and be the category leader there. Yes, and I've met all your team already. I met them all very uh, recently at a trade show in London. They're very excited. Let's put it that way. So- <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that you met them. Excited is uh, excited is one way to describe. Them. Yes. They are they are awesome. And and I've met lots of tech leaders so far. I do this podcast with lots of different companies, and I do some other consultancy stuff. And you're the first female CEO I've met in tech. Kim, what what is I mean in hostility tech anyway? Why do you think that is? Do you think do you think there's a bit of a barrier to um, females reaching uh, the top or startups generally and high growth startups? Is it? What do you think? I think the statistics show that there definitely is. Um, there's a lack of founders, probably not at the ground level. To be fair, like not at the entry level. So when you go and talk to accelerator programs or graduates, like. Um, the volume of application from female-led companies and uh, male-led companies are fairly even. But as the companies grow, it definitely starts to waver, um, which is really around funding, around the confidence around funding, the way they think about 
um, international expansion, how assertive or confident they are. And um, there are so many, there are honestly like so many elements to why, why I think there's a gap. Um, I think the biggest one is, and I talk about this sometimes, but not all the time. Um, I think the biggest one is actually that women feel and this is happening to a lot of my friends, but we feel the need to choose between being a CEO and having a family at some point in our life. Um, and I've seen my friends have kids and it's pretty hard. Like I, yeah. I think it's harder to have kids than harder to have a startup, you know, like <laughs> to sleep in. I, I get yeah. to, I get to um, go to bed at midnight and get up at seven thirty, and I don't get waking up in the middle of the night. Right. So like, things kind of run to my schedule. I mean, whereas with kids, it feels like it's the other way around. Um, so it's, I think it's, it takes a few, it takes a long while to get to the point where you are, you have enough battle scars and you have enough um, stories and enough credibility and enough friends in the, in the industry to actually then be able to confidently start a great business and know what good looks like. And unfortunately, that's kind of like the same crunch time as when most women decide that they want to have families and they don't really feel like they can do both. Um, and to do both is a pretty challenging experience. Um, so, yeah, I think that partially it's, you know, funding related, but I think it's actually mostly that women are opting out a little bit too early. Um, when the average, I think the average founder that's um, raised, like there's some stat that's built a business over a certain revenue line or raised a certain amount of money is actually 39. Wow. And 39, like that is like pretty much giving all of your 30s away Yeah. to yeah. building a company. Um, and your 30s are like the time when you decide to have family. So just by nature, uh, women end up having to choose and having to choose means they elect one or the other. Um, and I think the only way to do it, to be fair, is having a bigger founding team. Um, we have four of us within Mr. Yum. Uh, all of us play a very different role. I feel like if I stepped out for um, two or three years and did, you know, 50%, like 50%, capacity which in reality is like a hundred percent capacity because you just work 200 percent anyway um <laughs> i i think i think in a few years time we'll be okay um so yeah i think it's um actually trying to start earlier women need to start earlier they need to start businesses a little bit earlier they need to be given the um opportunities earlier in their career they need to like run hard in the late 20s and try and get to the point where you've actually, you know, got an opportunity like like I hopefully will in a few years where I can where, where I can do both, where I want to do both. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's great. And I think there's obviously, I mean, and, and there's lots of other barriers I'm sure we could talk about, but I think that's one of the key ones, isn't it? And one of the interesting things about Mr. Yum is I was reading about your values uh, and you have you have four, I think it's four, there's 10 times greater, here to serve, numbers <laughs> over hype and run towards the fire, which is my personal favourite. Uh, which one of those values relates to you the most, do you think? Actually, run towards the fire was the one that I, like, fought really, really hard for. Um, it's the one that I'm I'm probably the one in the team that prefers to talk about the hard things than just talk about the good things. Yeah. Um, 
we have very excited team members. We have people that are like literally like walking on clouds and, um, and they serve a very important role in the company. Um, but I, I feel like it's my role to have a realistic lens over what we are doing and achieving and not to be like a downer in the situation. But if you can talk about the things that aren't going so well, of which there are always many and things that can be improved, then you can actually fix them. Yeah. Um, so instead of like putting a blanket over the fire and pretending that it's not there, <laughs> let's actually go and see what's going on and see if we can um, resolve the resolve the challenges or, or just they're not even problems sometimes. They're just like things that could be better or things that you couldn't, you thought you wouldn't be able to do. Like we've got customers that, want to go live in you know short amounts of time or it's the first time we've ever done an event of 50 vendors in the same place or whatever and it feels daunting and it feels like we don't have the team to do it and we're always our team is always too small to be doing the things that we want to do because our ambitions are much bigger than the team that we've got at the moment so you're always constantly running towards buyers and um, I think it's a good reminder that we can yeah we can we can do the hard things if we just acknowledge them. It's about that trust, isn't it? And then when I read that one, being a parent, I would never tell my kids to run towards the fire, obviously. <laughs> but that is me. I, I would be that person who would, I, you know, I, I read it as taking a chance, but being, you know, being measured. And I think, it, I think it's really important when you're in this kind of high growth that you give that trust and autonomy. But at the same time, you have the, uh, uh, you have the ability to kind of draw them back when you need to. Yeah, we talk about... Um like one-way doors versus two-way doors, which is like, is that decision something we can pull out of without much um, repercussion? Or is that a decision that once we make, we kind of have to stick to our guns? Um, And if it's a two-way door, I think the decision framework is a lot easier and a lot more lenient. We've got to do things, especially like we've got, when we first entered the UK, like our team, like we barely had processes for Australia, you know, like we were like doing new markets and trying to launch in a market that was 12 hours away and people were sleeping while we were awake and vice versa. Um, So you've got to give the team the freedom to like make mistakes and trust that 80% of the time they'll make the right decision and actually 80% 80 of the time we're going to learn something valuable. Yeah, for sure. And I think and it's like running a restaurant. Actually, in the restaurant you have, you're very busy people. You know, you're running a bar. You've got and a general manager can't do everything at once, right? They have to trust some people, and it it, yeah. it, it does. And sometimes you get it wrong, right? But that's the, that's the whole point of learning. Which brings me nicely into the fact that hospitality is overrun with tech right now in the UK. It's everywhere. It's very competitive. Um, do you think we're getting it right? Do you think it's do you think there's the balance between experience and tech is right at the moment generally? I think that um, it's actually the responsibility of the operators as well as the responsibility of the tech partners to think about how we blend those two things. And um, when we engage a um, a group or a single site, a, a business, um, the, one of the first questions that our sales team will ask them is how do you plan to implement this within your service model? tech isn't there to completely replace your elements of service. It's actually there to support it, to um, augment, um, to make better. And 
we've got um, a bunch of different models, but one of them, for example, is it's really important with a venue using Misty um, to actually have a host. And that's sometimes like an extra touch point that they didn't have before. But what we found very impactful is if you have someone that greets you at the start of your experience, then um, that very first touch point is the most important touch point. It's as important as the last touch point. Uh, and you can make them feel, you can make the guests feel extremely welcome, understood, explain everything, make sure they're confident, make sure they're comfortable. And humans can tell if they're not comfortable. Yeah. And if they're not comfortable, then you need to pull out the paper menu and give them the paper menu and adapt to your um, default mode, which might have been, hey, have you used a QR code ordering system before? Okay, no worries. Like, if not, I'll show you how, how, you know, I'll show you how it works. If they're like, no, I don't really want to use it. Well, you've got to then adapt and, and change. So I think there's no binary, there's no binary solution in this. It's got to be how does technology work in with the hospitality and the human elements of service um, and give some of your time back as a server Um being able to take away the admin parts of of the ordering experience and the payment experience while not losing the human elements to it. Um, I think with the labor shortages all around the world, like that is the one thing that is consistent everywhere, like Australia, the UK and the US, everyone's struggling with um, hiring and hospitality. I think at the moment it's really a, a case of, well, how do we make sure that all of your staff that you do have, even though you've got staff shortages, they're actually doing things that only humans can do. And yeah. they're doing things that are making your customers feel special, making them feel welcome and Mr. Young providing the product and the service and the data, um, importantly, the data to help you achieve that. So yeah, I think it's, we don't see our product as tech without service. I don't think it'll ever, um, we don't want to, we don't want to get there. We don't imagine a world where it will get there. Um, we're very we're very big advocates of talking about how our product will work within a current hospitality environment and how we have to adapt, how they'll have to adapt, how we have to adapt to fit their 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 outcomes. Yeah, yeah. But I think the industry is exhausted. Hey, like you know, to be completely um, kind of frank about that, like we we reach out to merchants in the UK in particular, and they're like, oh, my God, another one. Like, <laughs> oh, it's another, you know, QR ordering system. It's another system that just wants to do my payments. You know, it's another system that um, that is selling me exactly the same product that's no different to the other. And that is actually why we focus on hiring such an engaging and differentiated team because the team, uh, a lot of them are hospitality background a lot a lot of them have a um, different level of empathy for for the restaurants um, they're not actually there to just sell the product because we don't make any money like we're a completely transaction-based business and we don't make any money unless the restaurant uses the product uh, <laughs> and if they don't use the product and they can't fit it into the business model we can't implement it within the service like we don't we don't get anything out of it um, so there's no there's no like install fees there's no setup fees there's no monthly subscription where even if you don't use the product you still have to pay for it like we have to work just as hard as the merchant does in making sure the adoption of the technology is successful um and if they don't 
like the product and even if they're in a contract right like say they're in a two-year contract or a three-year contract if they decide to stop using it like what are you going to do you're not going to you're not going to take them to court for that right so you <laughs> you've got to like you've got to work we've got we've got to work really hard at making sure the tech is right for that business and that the way they think they're thinking about using it is um is going to improve their guest experience not take away from it and it's interesting isn't it when it comes to adoption um how do you go about ensuring that the brands you're selling into or the restaurants and bars you're selling into are, are onboarded correctly and that they actually do um adopt your kit quickly and it does become part of the fabric so enables them to to get the full benefit from it oh it's like it's actually the most um underestimated um part of our business uh we often get asked like you know is it self onboarding um do you want to get to self onboarding how could a restaurant anywhere in the world sign up for Mr. Yum and actually the answer is they can't um it's not a self onboarding process uh we you know maybe could get the product to the point where they can click the buttons and pull in the menu and build the menu themselves but we don't consider that onboarding like the onboarding process is actually building a relationship with the managers building a relationship with the bartender like going it like often it's if we can and we we try to um otherwise we talk to them about it at length it's like how do you plan to use this and how will it work um and then training the staff on not just the back end of the product but actually you know how to deal with objections that the guests may have um how to know when to pull out the paper menu and actually just serve them the traditional way um and we have a we have a bigger um support and account management team than we do a sales team and we have incredible retention and very 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 low churn because of it um and our we actually we looked at some of our support stats yesterday which was absolutely like mind-blowing but we're sitting at like 99 percent you know, thumbs wow. up or happy, happy face, which is like crazy for a chat support system. Um, and we are sitting at a 30 second response rate on support. So within 30 seconds, yeah, it's insane. We just have so like we over invest in our um, CX function and our co-founder carriers has everything to think for that. She fights very hard for extra you know, resources and investment into that part of the business, but it works. It works and we have a good reputation and then other people talk and hospitality is small and they go to a conference and and everyone talks about you at a conference and, you know, all of our partners in the industry, like our POS partners are our biggest and most important partners. Most of our leads, most of our referral leads come from our POS partners. And if you don't give their customers a out of this world like differentiated experience to what all the other tech companies do then they start recommending you because it's just too hard um but they do recommend you when it actually makes them look good yeah and it's like let let me tell you about this Aussie company that's coming to the UK like you might not have heard of them but they're awesome and then you deliver and it makes them look good and Kim, what do you think about new innovation? Do you think there's anything coming up in the next year or so that's really going to change what we're doing in hospitality, whether it's back of house or front of house? Um, I think there's going to be 
some really exciting behind the scenes um, innovation. So think actually Dan from Airship Toggle uh, wrote, a, I think, a piece recently around, you know, data being the theme for 2022. And I really respect Kim. We've had many awesome conversations. Um, and I think that's 100% true because only in the last two years did uh, restaurants, bars, pubs actually have the data at all. Like they didn't have that information before. And now that they've captured it, they're like, okay, cool. What am I going to do with it? Like, <laughs> what am I going to do with all this? What am I going to do with all this, da- all this data? Um, and I think, and this is how we're thinking about um, data. Uh, and this is how we're challenging our engine, data, data scientists and data engineering team around what, so this is why you need so much money because data engineers are really expensive. And, <laughs> I knew I was in the and wrong job. <laughs> <laughs> and they're really, they're really, um, they're amazing and they're really, they can really transform the business. Um, the, the really fascinating thing I think about hospitality is like the absolute worst thing we could do is build like, imagine just dashboards, just like dashboards of recommendations on like, you know, what products should you be moving and how, who's the VIP in the venue and um, and how much have they spent and who should, like all of that stuff in like web dashboards is potentially the worst way to think about um, hospitality tech. I think what uh, brands like, you know, Airship Toggle and Dan and Sprout and Impact Data, and just, there's so many businesses that are doing this data stuff and and what we have the opportunity to do with them and work with them on is like how do we surface that within the four walls like how do we make that super engaging really accessible on hand when when um when staff and when managers need that information how do we make it like right there when they need it almost like a little helper um and actually the the name is Yum's kind of you know, based on a bit of a um, someone that can help you deliver a better guest experience than what you were able to do by yourself because you didn't have the data to do it. So I think that's our big challenge for the year. And it's actually maybe something that the guests may not see necessarily, but it's like, how do we start to use this information that we've all been gathering and work together, like work with brands like, for example, the guys at Yumpingo, if they... Um, if, if 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 you know that this person really doesn't like the taste profile of this dish, like how do I make it really obvious to the manager or someone serving them that actually don't recommend this to them, recommend that to them because you've surfaced that information. But the challenge we all have is like, how do we do that in situ, not in dashboards? Yeah. Um, and bringing the real world and the digital world closer together is something that... Um, like a lot of these brands and Mr. Yam and, you know, our partner ecosystem are thinking through and working through. So, yeah, I think we're genuinely better together. And um, I think we're all thinking about how we can make data more accessible. That's great. And I think personalization actually is the key for 2022. Uh, like we do, like we shop on Amazon, Spotify, our songs fall in front of us when we want them. Same as shopping on Amazon. I think hospitality is ready for that. I think it'd be great experience for the guest. Um, so, yeah, I think you're dead right. And we know Dan at Airship very well. Uh, he's a very good guy. Kim, you've got some pretty cool investors from the world of sport and music uh, that I read that are investing in you guys. Um, if you were going to be a high flyer outside of tech and in something different, um, which world would you be in, sport or music? I think I'd be in music. 
I just don't think I'm cut out. I don't think I'm cut out for like how hard um, physically sport is. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the uh, Nadal final in Singapore with my family. And we started watching at 4.30 p.m., which is 7.30 p.m. in um, in Australia. We were like, we'll go to dinner at 8 p.m. <laughs> then it was like two sets down and we were like, yeah, this is um, – this is probably not going to go his way. I don't think we, I really love, we really wanted him to win, but we didn't think it was going to happen. Um, we're like, we're watching, you know, the half of the third set. We get to halfway. We're like, mm, I think we're going to have to, I think we're going to have to keep going because it's looking pretty good. Um, and then we actually ended up having to take the iPad, which was on VPN to the Hawker Center because um, <laughs> we didn't want to, we wanted hawker food, but we didn't want to get away from being able to watch the game, so we had to take it with us. But that whole game, like just, you know, how emotional that was, how tennis players kind of like the game's like all on you in the moment and you can't get any help or any support. Like you're just like it's just so brutal on your body and, and on your mind. It's really crazy. Um, and they, you know, I think they have a very hard life for a very short or like a very intense life for a pretty short amount of time, uh, whereas music seems a lot more fun. <laughs> it's been brilliant chatting to you. Um, if people want to get hold of you um, or find out about more about Mr. Yum, where do they go? Yeah, MrYum.com. And uh, you can look for me on LinkedIn. I'm just Kim Teo. Um, and yeah, feel free to reach out. Thanks for coming on Tech on Toast, Kim. Really appreciate it. And uh, good luck for the rest of you. And we'll see you and Mr. Yum very soon. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Make sure you tune in next week to find out who we've got coming up. Or you can go and check out techontoast.community to find out more about what we're up to. Have a great week. Thank you.